Good morning. We are grateful that you are here and the opportunity to study together and to fellowship with one another. And we continue to emphasize, even as Don kind of mentioned in his announcements, the idea that we would love for you to be here as often as possible because it's the presence of one another as our numbers have been able to go back up just a little bit. We are thankful to be together. But as we try to say often as well, we hope that you just will plan to be here every time that the doors are open, not just on Sunday morning, but on Sunday night for our services and for all of our Bible classes. And we just are thankful for the congregation here and the chance that we have to encourage one another. When we think about the world and we think about the things of the Bible, one of the quotes that the churches of Christ sort of in general have been known for over the years is the idea that we want to call Bible things by Bible names and do Bible things in Bible ways. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that is typically attributed to Alexander Campbell, someone who is well-known and, and famous among churches of Christ, someone who is seeking to go back to the things of the Bible. I didn't necessarily intend for it to be this way, but next Sunday we're going to talk a little bit about that as well, God be willing, about the idea of the restoration movement or restoring things from the Bible. And so this kind of slogan, if you will, uh, some people might call it a creed or, or things like that, but this kind of idea that we as people of God, as followers of Christ, simply seek to do the things that we do, not only in the world and as we go about life through work and we go through our, our play and our fun, but especially as well when it comes to the things of our worship and the things that we do here as a congregation, that we would seek out the Bible and do what the Bible says and do what they were doing during the first century there and on the pages of the New Testament that we read about. You know, there are a lot of things that sometimes applies to, just to give you a few. One of those things is the idea, of course, of the name, the name that we bear, especially even here of the congregation. You know, a lot of people wear the names of men. Not to just isolate anyone in particular, but we think about some people call themselves Lutherans. Some people call themselves Wesleyans. They go by, by names of men, and we strive to go by the name of Christ, not only in Christian but we go back to the Bible and we see that the name that was sometimes used, even in passages like Romans 16, 16, is the churches of Christ. There are other names or phrases, if you will, that are, are used to refer to the people, refer to the church. But we see things like that in passages where it is used like there in Romans 16, 16. And so we try to wear the name the church of Christ, the church that doesn't belong to any man or any particular name of men, but to Christ. Another one of those things is, of course, baptism. Uh, both of these things, and the things we're going to mention here very briefly, we don't have time to get into in detail. They could be sermons in and of themselves, but even with the idea of baptism. There are so many ideas. I even saw a person uh, on YouTube this week and, and happened to see a video of a guy who, who promotes the Bible and speaks of things uh, of God and of Christianity, and he was talking about baptism, and it was interesting because he brought up sprinkling, pouring, or Im immersion. Well, you're familiar. There's a lot of confusion at times. There are people who are unsure of what the Bible has to say. But when we go back to the Bible, we want to call Bible things like baptism by Bible names and do them in Bible ways, then we would take the time to study for ourselves what the New Testament has to say about baptism. Again, this lesson is not about that, but it's something that we strive for. Well, one of the things, other things that is sometimes mentioned, and the thing we want to consider this morning in a way, is the idea of the phrase pastor. And you go through the world, there are all kinds of ideas that people have of the idea of pastor. 
When we think about what the Bible has to say, though, and again, we're going to kind of go a little bit of a different direction with this and not focus on this issue solely, but the Bible uses some different terms to refer to a particular group of people, a particular group of, of men. The idea of an elder or a bishop or a pastor. But if you know, you go around, we could go through Saudi Daisy, Tennessee, we could go through many places in the world and ask them what they think of when they think of pastor. And most people are going to talk about the idea of what we might call a one pastor system or the pastor system, where the pastor is the man that typically stands where I'm standing now, that, that occupies the pulpit, we might say, that serves as the minister or the preacher. And many people would call him the pastor. Now, certainly the man who preaches and sort of serves the role of, as minister or evangelist can serve as a pastor, but when we read what the Bible has to say concerning elders or bishops or pastors, it's referring to the group of men who would lead the congregation and making decisions and doing various things. That's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning, more than just simply this idea uh, but that's the group of men that it's referring to when it comes to pastors. So that's one of those things that when you hear somebody say it, or maybe they ask you who your pastor is, it's not always the best time to open up your Bible and go through a great in-depth study of all the verses and that kind of thing. But maybe sometimes it's a good chance to put a thought in their mind. Uh, maybe it's a good chance to cause them to think just a little bit about the, what the Bible actually has to say about an, the idea of a, a minister or an evangelist or a preacher and the idea of pastors or elders who are serving the congregation. Typically, the month of October has been identified or celebrated as Pastor Appreciation Month. Many of you are aware of this already because we have asked many of you so far this month to do things to honor our pastors or our elders. And we're thankful for that opportunity to try to encourage them, to do things for them, to let them know that we are thinking about them. Most of them have been serving for years or have certainly been in the congregation with elders for many years. So we did not necessarily need a pandemic to show us how strong the elders need to be or what the role of an elder is. But certainly in the last 18 months or so, we have learned that the elders have a lot of tough decisions and have a lot of things that they have to try to wrestle with and handle and a lot of things that they need to do. And so it's very, very tough. And so we don't want to just take the month of October, but we've been thankful so far to try to do just a few things to honor them, to let them know that we appreciate them. As we think this morning about the eldership just a little bit, about elders or pastors, uh, there's some things that we want to consider uh, from the Bible. First of all, it is the pattern. When we think about the, the New Testament, it is the pattern. Well, what do we mean? Well, in Acts chapter 11, specifically verses verse number 30, but verses 27 through 30, we see that it is the pattern of the church. It is the plan of God that there be elders. The church at Jerusalem had elders. Here in this particular passage, we see that there are prophets that came to Jerusalem and told that there, were going to, that there was going to be a famine. And so in verse number 29, the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Well, what were they going to do? How are they going to do this? Well, it says this they also did, verse 30, and sent it to the elders. I mean, how should things work? What would be the pattern of the church? Well, here we see that the church had elders. We even think about Acts chapter 20 and verse number 17. Paul is traveling around. Verse number 16 actually tells us that he is hurrying. He is wanting to be in Jerusalem. So he's traveling, and he really wanted to talk to some people from Ephesus. 
but he's not going to have time to make it there. And so he's going to stop at Miletus, and beginning in verse number 17, while he's at Miletus, he's going to call for and send, and these group of men are going to come and meet with him in Miletus. And who is it? It's the elders, the elders at Ephesus. So the church at Ephesus also had elders. Paul didn't call a a men's business meeting. He didn't call for all the men or all the congregation. He called for these pastors or elders, and in fact that word or that idea of pastor is used in this particular passage, uh, not in verse 17, but as you go on through his encouragement to those men, those elders from Ephesus, he's going to talk about shepherding or the idea of being a pastor. But we see the church at Ephesus had elders. It is the pattern. We notice as well, and hopefully many of you knew where this was going because we've been talking about it on Wednesday night, but the church at Philippi had elders. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, they're going to write this letter and send it to whom? To the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, with the elders and the deacons. That's who he's going to send this to, to those who would be serving in a leadership role, be serving as, as pastors, as shepherds, as overseers, as elders. So this seems to be the pattern of what the New Testament church should be. Not only that, but if you're making notes, you might add to the side Titus chapter 1 and verse number 5. Because not only is it the pattern, we might say, we might even add that it is the goal of the church. It is the desired structure of a group of people meeting, striving to serve Christ. Titus chapter 1 and verse number 5, Paul would write to Titus and say, For this reason... For this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. It's the pattern. It's the goal. It's the desired structure. And again, for sake of time, we're going to have to you know, cut this sermon short to certain things. But, but it is what should be happening. Congregations can be meeting together, and maybe they don't have men who are qualified, as we say, but they should be striving to have men who are qualified. A church, a group of people who are meeting together and have men who are qualified but do not have elders also has a problem on their hands because it seems to be the pattern, doing Bible things in Bible ways, that there be men who are leading the congregation serving as elders overseers, bishops, as pastors. And so that's the goal. That is what we should be striving for. Well, that's good to know. But then let's think for just a moment about what elders do. I mean, you know, this is a question that comes up from time to time. But what is it exactly that elders do? Well, one thing they do is they give the preacher a hard time. All right? I mean, that's, I mean, and they're good at it here. I think Charles gave me an amen. But they give the preacher a hard time. Uh, Charles does that. Jerry asks lots of questions. He's rolling his eyes at me now, giving me a hard time. So, but that's one thing that they try to be good at. They give the preacher a hard time. You know, sometimes we joke. People say, they call the preacher and they say, well, what do I need to do? And the preacher says, well, you need to go see the elders. And they call the elders and they ask a question. They say, well, you need to go talk to the preacher. But the elders very often, you know, they give the preacher a hard time. They're pretty good at that. I think they practice sometimes. Well, there's another thing that they do is they have a full understanding of the color wheel, right? Carpet, 
paint. They know exactly how to match and mix and match paint and to take care of the walls and all of these things because that's what elders do, right? I mean, they have to make sure that we have pews that are colored and carpet and painting along the wall. So um, we don't give them a quiz per se, but they need to have a full understanding of the color wheel. They also make sure that the ladies' restroom is fully stocked with paper towels, right? That's one thing. You don't want to go astray of the ladies. You don't want to be sure that they are needing things. So elders very often, and yes, tongue-in-cheek, but also maybe with a hint, just a hint of truth, get caught up in making sure that the ladies' restroom and the men's restroom and the kitchen or other things are stocked and fully kept up with, with all the things that are needed so that everybody else is happy. Now, yes, absolutely, I'm being a little sarcastic, but if we're all being honest, sometimes this is exactly what the elders do. I'm not calling out the elders here or any particular congregation, but almost every congregation. I mean, we hop in the bus and just take a trip around the area. But almost every congregation, sometimes the elders get caught up in worrying about those things and those things only so that they can't do the other things that they are supposed to be doing. The things that the Bible says that they should be doing. Yeah, they give the preacher a hard time, and we do that all in fun and jest here, and we joke about that. But yeah, they do get caught up sometimes in worrying about the little things instead of taking care of what we would say we see on the pages of the Bible is actually overseeing. Not overseeing the ladies' restroom or just the color samples, but making sure that they're watching out for our souls. So what is it then that actually elders are supposed to be doing? Well, number one, they are supposed to be overseen. We've already looked at Acts chapter 20, but if you want to take time today or in the coming week, if you have Bible reading time that you go through to consider what the Bible says about elders, you need to read Acts chapter 20. As Paul is having an interaction here, not only does he give them instructions, does he give them guidance, but you would see at the end of chapter 20, in verse number 37, that when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. That's verse 36. But verse 37, they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship as he was about to set sail. Now, that's a little different than the overseeing, but I would just encourage you to recognize here that the relationship of this man and these elders was such that they were emotional. They were upset, which means or implies that they had a relationship, that they had encouraged one another from time to time, that they had worked together. We say blood, sweat, and tears. They had probably been through all of that, and they had done that, and so when they had these moments, even of sorrow, as he said, I won't see you again, and they know that. They are weeping freely and openly because they have a strong relationship. And because they have a strong relationship, he can give them words of encouragement. And we might even say stern words, just, just strong words, and tell them exactly what they need to be doing, which includes in verse 28, the overseeing. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, I don't know about you, but there's no between the print and my Bible. I don't see color wheel. I don't see paper towels or all these other things that we just kind of joked about a few moments ago. They're supposed to be overseen. And sometimes, maybe they get caught up in doing those other things. Sometimes, we drag them down and bring them to all of these other things, and they're not able to simply oversee the church, once again, through a pandemic, 
and just any year in general, we know that the elders have lots of things that they should be doing, are supposed to be doing, overseeing the church. Does that involve the budget? Yeah, it does. Does that involve sometimes being sure that things are stopped or taken care of? Yes, it does. Does it involve seeing that things are updated and painted from time to time or new things are put in place? Absolutely. But they are also supposed to be overseers. Secondly, they're supposed to watch out for our souls. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 17, the Hebrew writer would say, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. There's another word. Sometimes the relationship, not only between maybe the minister or the preacher and the elders, but the congregation and the elders is one of grief. It's one of trouble. It's one of sorrow because so many things are going on. And yes, some things happen from time to time, but they're to watch out for our souls. And to watch over our, our bank account. Even in the last year, they have watched out for our health some, but they're not in charge of my blood pressure. They're not in charge of the things that I need to take care of as far as my health. They are in charge of my soul. That's a fine balance to strike. We have canceled services because of ice or snow, and they've kind of watched out for our health, want to make sure there wasn't a danger to us. Last year, we did cancel for a time. But we also knew that if they're watching out for our souls, we need to be back together at some point. We need to be assembling. Because, by the way, side note real quick, but, but that's one way that they do that. I think we've talked about this in a sermon in previous years. But the elders, one way they watch out for our souls is they open those doors. And they hire a minister. And they make sure they're Bible class teachers. And they say, we're going to meet at 9.30, 10.30, at 6 o'clock, at 7 o'clock, and we're going to have class. And we're going to have teaching. And in doing so, we're watching out for your soul. Now, that's not the only way or the only times, but that is certainly one way in which they watch out for our souls. So, yes, we're supposed to assemble together. Yes, we're supposed to encourage one another. But Hebrews 13, 17, we're also supposed to obey. And when our elders say, I'm watching out for your soul by opening the doors and having teaching, then we should be here as often as we can to ensure that we are accepting that teaching and we are encouraging one another. Yes, they are to do many things, but they are also to oversee and to watch out for our souls. And then one interesting one that we don't often mention is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10. The whole chapter, Paul is speaking about unity. You see that on the screen already as you're filling out your outline. But he's talking about unity. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same Thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Question, how do we do that? Well, some of you have been a part of men's business meetings before. Men's business meetings sometimes get a bad name, you know, and sometimes they also do go sideways. And you find men on this side and men on this side and men in that section who all argue and disagree and there's nobody to help lead and make decisions. And I think that one way in which God has said we can have unity and speak the same thing and there be no divisions is to have elders that help us fulfill that unity by making the decisions. 
by sharing with us, by interacting and talking. They are not a board of directors that sit in New York City or somewhere far off and simply make decisions. Yes, they do sometimes have private meetings, closed-door meetings where they need to discuss serious things. But quite often, if not almost always as they can, they will come forth from those meetings and then share the decisions that they have made as much as they can. Some things might need to remain private, but they will also share the budget. They'll also share the choices that they've made, the decisions that they've made, and they're, they're hard. They're very, very hard very often to go through those things and to consider all of these things, uh, especially even when you get men together, multiple men, more than one, two, three, four, five, to, to try to decide things. It's tough, but they come forth. Not only do they come forth in unity, but they strive to help us with unity. You know, very often we have, you know, 75 to 100 people here. We might just get 75 to 100 different opinions on many different things. But the elders help us with our unity. Maybe in the things that are a little trivial, maybe. Maybe we'll, the color of certain things or how we're going to handle something. But absolutely as well in unity of the spirit, in unity of our teaching and our preaching. They help us fulfill that, and that is so encouraging for us to consider. Well, what else? What can we do? All right, we're talking about this morning, I wanted to talk about elders or pastors in general, and, and I thought, well, let's talk about what they're supposed to be doing. We can't leave it there. It's not all on them. What can we be doing? Well, number one, we can use them. We can use them. Now, that's not in the negative sense. That's not abuse them, by the way. Let me make sure I, I speak clearly here. Don't abuse them or use them in that way, but use them. You know, they, they've said to me from time to time, I want people to come to me. You know, sometimes people do call me with a question or, or something. I say, the first thing I'll say is, you need to go talk to the elders. I, I appreciate you coming to me, and I, I'm always willing to listen, but I'm not the decision maker. I'm not the one who's going to decide, but you need to go to them. They do desire that. They desire to be used. And let me say it again to make sure you are clear, I am clear. Go to them with your spiritual matters as well. I mean, they might need to know if the paper towels are out in the bathroom, but they really want to know if you are struggling spiritually. If there's something wrong in your family or your marriage or with your children, and they can pray for you or help you. They want to know that, and we need to use them. Not abuse them, but use them in the positive ways in which God has set forth and go to them and share things with them. That's one thing that we can do because then they know that they are overseen. I mean, sometimes they hear, maybe through the, the gossip or the grapevine, the, the speaking around, they might know you're going through something, but they're saddened then to know that you don't trust them enough or, or feel confident enough to come to them with those things. They want to be used in those ways, and they certainly want to be used in the spiritual ways and not just the, the trivial physical ways as well. Instead of just fussing about them, Instead of just talking about them on the way home or over lunch or things like that, maybe instead of going to the preacher with all the problems or issues, go to them. Because they are overseen, even in the physical things, and they are watching out for our souls. Number two, encourage them. We need to be encouraging them. Yes, we have tried to take this month, and we have asked some of you specifically to do certain things over the last few weeks. I have not, or anybody's not been intentionally left out, um, because you can always send a card to them. By all means, it doesn't just have to be the month of October, but you can encourage them. I might add and, and break that down into two ways. Number one, spiritually. 
or even silently, spiritually or silently, you can pray for them. I mean, our men do. Our men do here from the pulpit and, and in public from, from time to time in our prayers. But you, pray for them specifically. Pray for them in your private prayers. I don't know how many of you keep like a prayer journal or a prayer list. We've talked about that in previous sermons to help us with our prayers. But if you do, how often if we were to go back through, or even just mentally, go back through our prayers over the last week or month, have the elders been on that list? I mean, we kind of give a positive attitude of, hey, we, we appreciate you and, and, you know, that kind of thing. We think, oh, man, I appreciate them. But how often do we spiritually or silently uh, encourage them, uh, maybe share things with them, uh, you know, maybe buy them a book or two or if you find something on elders, an article or two that's encouraging about elders and the work of elders. You can just kind of, you know, things that nobody knows about. Slip them some of those things to, to encourage them in their work. Uh, maybe if you hear about something or, or even something that they could be doing or thinking about, encourage them spiritually. But number two, we might say physically or even publicly. Physically and, and publicly do that. We have tried to do that this month, but let me encourage you. I, I'm, I hope you pray privately for them, but say it to them. I, I mean, say it to them face to face. I appreciate you. I'm thankful for you. And send the cards and take time to do the things, not just in one particular month, but you know, from time to time that you think about it. Thanking them for the work that they do physically, or just in a physical sense, thank them publicly. It doesn't have to be in front of the group, but just in a way that they know that you are considering them and you are trying to encourage them. And number three, train them. Train them. Well, now, this is not the bad way as well. This is not like our kids. Well, I'm going to train them to do what I tell them to do. Not like that. Not like a dog or anything. But train them. Well, what do we mean? Well, the qualifications that we usually talk about when we talk about elders is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. And guess what? Those things don't just happen by accident. I mean, young men, Young men who are teenagers, young men who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, they don't just pop up out of the ground ready to serve as elders. If they want to meet those qualifications, we need to help train them. And by the way, that is training teenagers, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, because we all need training in doing what is right. We don't train them to be conditioned to do what we want them to do. We should be training future elders we all know, and we've talked about it in the three years or so that we've been here with you, about the age of the eldership, especially here at Saudi. And as we've had a little bit of turnover in the last year or two, that, that age, guess what, just keeps going up, right? We just keep getting older unless, unfortunately, someone passes away. So what are we doing as a congregation to help train them, not the current pastors or elders, but future men who would serve in that capacity? What can we do? We can train them. That falls on the preacher. Preacher can preach about it. We can discuss it and talk about it. But what are you doing? When I say encourage them, you need to encourage our elders now. But is there someone younger that you could encourage right now to read over those qualifications, to study them, to think about it? Because you know what the problem typically is? The problem is not sometimes that men aren't qualified. The problem sometimes is that nobody wants to do it because of the way that we talk about the elders, because of the way that we run them down and give them grief over the things that they do or the things that we don't like. And so there are sometimes plenty of qualified young, younger men who say, there's not a chance I'm ever going to be an elder. I'll stay as far away from that as I can. And that is 
a lot of words, just very sad. Just very awful to think that all of us, myself included, or anyone who serves as a member of a congregation, would treat the eldership in such a fashion that nobody wants to do it, even when they meet the qualifications that are listed forth in the Word of God. This has been a month in which we have tried to honor our elders, and we have tried to appreciate them throughout the month in a physical sense. Don't just take the time this month, but take the time every day to pray for them, to think about them. Yes, to do it publicly or physically in a sense, and let's continue to look forward to think about men who can serve as elders, overseers, bishops, and pastors and help this congregation. You know, within the first few weeks that I was here, a part of the congregation, the first month, I got one of the uh, packets, one of the things, the information that was put together a few years ago around the 100-year anniversary. Do you want to see 150? Do you want to see 200? Do you want your children and grandchildren and others to find a place that is meeting faithfully here, serving the Lord? Then we need to make sure that we appreciate our elders, that we use them, encourage them, and train them. As we conclude our lesson this morning... We encourage you to think about your life with God, whether you have a right relationship with God. We joke sometimes that you know that the the sermon doesn't always lend itself perfectly as a, a segue into the invitation, but we take time as a means here. One of the things that the elders encourage us to do is to take time at the end of our lesson to extend heaven's invitation, that if you are here this morning and you are not a child of God, then you would consider being baptized for the remission of your sins coming in contact with the blood of Christ so that he can add you to his church and you can begin to serve faithfully. If you've not done that this morning, why not? And how can we encourage you to make that great commitment? Maybe you're here but you have, as a Christian, but you've wandered away. There's sin in your life that you need help with. One of the ways that our elders watch out for our souls is not too long ago, they decided that one would come to the front here. One would come forward. Because sometimes the preacher standing down here lends itself to that misconception that many people have that the preacher is the pastor and he's the one that has to hear the confession or do something in some form or fashion. But no, we're thankful that our elders have committed at least one each time to come down here. If you need to repent of sin in a public fashion, want to make that known so that we can pray with you or for you, we'd be glad to do that because no one has to leave with these questions in their mind about your relationship with God. You can become a Christian or come back to him, even now as we stand together and as we sing.